I had the opportunity this past week to work with uh, Joe. Uh, <clears throat> just to be clear, he was the boss, and I was the helper. And we were doing a plumbing job for somebody. And I'll just say that uh, <clears throat> it reminded me of many, many years ago on the farm uh, cutting silage. Uh, Robertson, Ernest, and us cutting silage. And you get to know people uh, in a different way than going to church and um, maybe looking at the back of their heads for whatever it is you do. And so anyway, <clears throat> Joe made a statement uh, while we were plumbing, and I know he's listening to me, so Joe, you did say this. And here's the statement, <clears throat> we the willing, led by the unknowing, are doing the impossible for the ungrateful, and have done so, have done so much with so little for so long that we are now able to do everything with nothing, period. You heard that, didn't you, Leon? You heard that before one time? Yeah. So he said he saw that in a place of business, and he saw it many times, and uh, it sank in. <coughs> and... Uh, so I'll repeat that. We, the willing, led by the unknowing, are doing the impossible for the ungrateful and have done so much with so little for so long that we are now able to do everything with nothing. And I, I don't know what all that proves or whatever. It's not a Bible statement and whatever. But the thing, the reason I'm saying this is because I had a lot of uh, fun. Helping Joe, getting to know him in a different way. So the sermon this morning is taken from Colossians, Colossians 1, the first 12 verses. And uh, the theme I've chosen for these verses is prayer, praying for one another. And I, I plan to preach through Colossians uh, because um, there are a number of uh, themes and issues in Colossians that I want to talk about with you. And uh, <clears throat> it's nice, it's nice if the Bible speaks to things that really matter, and it does. So I need to mention um, in the beginning here, and this will be very brief, and I'm not going to dwell on it, but... Uh, historical research suggests that in the midst of Paul's writing about various doctrinal theological issues in this letter, he is also addressing some uh, heresy in the church there. And uh, there's two elements to this heresy, and I want to briefly mention them. The one is 
what's called the Jewish element, which is the idea that one must practice the law of Moses in order to be right with God or in order to be in the family of God, to belong to God, to belong to God's people, you must keep the law. That's the one part of it. And the other part uh, could be called the pagan element, which is the idea that matter is evil. And uh, at first, that might seem like a minor problem. I mean, what difference does this make? But uh, the result of that heresy, that matter is evil, is the idea that only ideas are pure and free from contamination, and that salvation is a matter of having more knowledge. And uh, more knowledge is more important than faith in Christ. And since matter is evil, then it's the idea that Christ could not have been both human and divine. Either had to be one or the other. And then that led to uh, a distorted view of the Christian life that uh, is called dualism, the idea that everything that is not explicitly spiritual is, is uh, worldly or evil, is bad. So uh, in chapter 2, then, you have these statements, don't touch this, uh, don't have that, don't eat that, uh, which is partly the Jewish thing, but partly the pagan thing. So avoid everything that is physical because it is evil. And <clears throat> I won't elaborate any more on that. Uh, we'll get to that in Colossians 2. So beginning here in verse 1, it starts out, Paul talks about the people, and he mentions himself and Timothy and the saints and faithful brothers. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And I'm using the New American Standard this morning. So Paul refers to himself as an apostle, uh, which means a, the sent one, a sent one called, appointed by the will of God. And it uh, speaks of the authority that this person has under God. Timothy, uh, well, we're all familiar with Timothy. He had a Jewish mother and a Greek father, and he became a Christian on Paul's first missionary journey. And Paul viewed uh, him as, uh, he calls him his son, son in the faith, and uh, was a mentor to Timothy. So they had, they had a very close relationship. And then the saints and faithful brothers and sisters the question, uh, who and what are saints? And uh, the word means um, holy ones or set apart or separated unto God and separated from sin and Satan. 
So if you're separated onto something, you are also separated from something, and that's the idea here. And then this is a, um, you might, the word you might use here is that uh, this is a position that a person is in. They're in the position of being a holy one because they're separated to God and separated from sin. But, but it also uh, refers to the kind of life that the person lives who is separated in this way. So Second uh, Corinthians 7.1 says that uh, because uh, the believers are separated unto God, they are to be perfecting holiness in the fear of God, uh, which has the idea of bringing holiness to its God ordained, intended end, or bringing holiness to the fullness of expression that God wills for his people. So there's the position, and then there's the the practice, the living out of it. Faithful brothers and sisters is the idea of believing brothers and sisters. And uh, grace and peace to you, uh, grace refers to God's presence and his enabling power and his assistance in time of need. And peace uh, speaks of harmony and rest, tranquility of mind that frees one from anxiety and fear. And uh, we all, of course, need grace and God's grace and peace. So then beginning in verse, going from verse 3 to verse 12, uh, is Paul's prayer. And, uh, you know, I don't know, you people probably know this, that uh, Paul's uh, writing uh, can go on and on and on for a long time, and it can be kind of hard to... uh, it can be somewhat complex. Um, so in this prayer, we, he focuses on two things, a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of petition. So he says in verse 3, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Or perhaps... Um, We thank God as we pray always for you. So Paul gives thanks for them while he prays or by praying for them. And uh, also in passing, I've mentioned that uh, Paul also focuses on this uh, doctrinal issue that God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is... uh, the deity issue, uh, Christ could be both both human and divine. So the God to whom we pray is the God whom Christ revealed to us in his character and life. Verses 4 and 5, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, Faith 
and love, these two marks of a believer that he mentions here, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. <clears throat> now, I feel a little bad even as I read this because there are so many <laughs> things being said. I don't know how you can keep up, okay? So Paul give, he gave thanks because he heard of their faith and love. So their faith, uh, obviously, we, we all know this, faith. Those in Christ have a living faith, a living faith in God, in Christ. And it's a faith through which Christ works. This faith has Christ as its object. And Christ is the center of Christianity and of the Christian's life. And this faith leans on Christ with absolute confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. And then there's love. And the idea here is love toward all, all believers, toward these saints. And faith and love, uh, and they go together. The person who has faith in Christ loves other believers. And 1 John tells us that love of God is of God, love is of God, and is demonstrated most profoundly in the coming of Christ that God did not, uh, and Christ did not value being, um, being in heaven, in the glory of heaven, more than uh, serving people. And since God loved us by sending Christ, we are, I think the King James word is ought, we are obligated or motivated to love other believers unselfishly. This is what Christ did. This is what the Father did. This is what we're called to do. And verse 8 uh, down further says that love is produced by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so here are a few questions I have. Uh, what is the relationship between faith in Christ and love for believers? Now, this would make a good Sunday school discussion. Now, perhaps faith in Christ makes it possible to love others because, at least this is how I think about it, because this faith makes it possible for us to believe that Jesus is alive and maybe working in this other person's life the way he's working in mine. And so I can, I can uh, trust I can trust God to be doing something, Christ to be doing something. Uh, maybe these people who are different than I am and think different than I do, maybe they belong to God too. So love, faith and love. Uh, another question, should we be concerned if we are frustrated and angry with fellow believers? <clears throat> well, what's the meaning of our frustration? 
And I believe <clears throat> some of us struggle with each other. I think this is true. I'm, I don't think I'm making this up. I think I think some of us struggle with other believers uh, over things like COVID-19 and and uh, well, what's that thing? Getting shots. Vaccinations. I'm sorry. You know this is really serious up here. <laughs> I can't think of the word vaccination. Um, yeah, things things like that, and and uh, building a church building or not doing it, and where to put it, and what kind, and you know, there's all these things that we can get so uh, frustrated about. And uh, and I'm not saying none of it matters, but what does it matter in relation to eternity? Uh, so you know the question: what what would what would need to happen in my heart so that I had the kind of love that that uh, Jesus had for me, or the kind of love that God has? So leaving that, so hope. What is hope? Well, it it refers to the thing hoped for. The glorious reward, the heavenly blessedness of the people of God. And Paul says here that hope causes or produces love and faith. Love and faith are the result of the hope that is laid up for us. And those who believe, those who have faith in God, uh, God grows hope in their heart, an understanding of the future, that it is secure. And this motivates people. Hope motivates people. I think it's uh, maybe First John 3. It says, because of our hope, we, purif- we, are, we are purifying ourselves. It has, it has a purifying effect and produces a holiness of life. Hope does. It's, uh, this hope is uh, secure in heaven, a treasure that is laid up for us. So what produces hope? <clears throat> and I believe these verses here indicate that hope uh, is a result of, uh, it comes by hearing the word of truth, hearing the gospel. <clears throat> so hearing the word, hearing the gospel produces knowledge of the hope laid up for us which produces faith and love. And so <clears throat> this is just my mind doing its thing, and maybe your mind never does things like this, but this is the sort of thing that my mind does <clears throat> when it doesn't have something else to do. Uh, questions like, so it almost sounds like uh, hope precedes faith. And I don't know if I get that, because I would have thought that faith has to precede everything else. And uh, in my mind, you know, I have to work on this. So I'll just say, I don't know the answer to that. I really don't know the answer. Except that how a person comes to faith and how they develop hope. uh, All of this is mysterious. It really is. And there's no science 
There was no mathematical equation for these spiritual realities. I'm not saying none of it matters, but sometimes we uh, work too hard on things that uh, we just need to cast ourselves on the Lord. So verses 6 to 8 starts out, verse 6, which has come to you just as in all the world. And the idea of the which is referring to the gospel, that it has come to you just as in all the world also it is bearing fruit. The gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. Even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, or understood our, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So in these verses, Paul gives thanks for the process of the gospel and the universality of the gospel, the coming of the gospel and the results of the coming. It's effective working, and he talks about this by emphasizing three comparisons in these verses. He talks about the scope of the gospel, the intensity of the gospel, and the source of the gospel knowledge. So, the scope uh, is an extensive gospel. Uh, it came to them, even as it has come to all the world. So it's a universal gospel. It's intended for all people, and it's effective for all people. It's not just uh, Colossians. You know, they might be like Bethel people. You know how we can <clears throat> kind of get self-focused, and we are uh, we look at each other, and uh, we think to ourselves maybe that uh, we are very unique and, and maybe better than everyone else, and uh, maybe we're the only ones that are going to get there to heaven. Uh, so th this isn't true. I mean, we know this is not true, but sometimes we get in our way of thinking. So this is a universal gospel. Uh, so it's extensive. And then the intensity of the gospel uh, the gospel is working. It's bearing fruit. It's increasing around the world, Paul says, even as it is in you. And uh, Paul should have known because he went here and there, and he saw how the gospel worked in the hearts of people here and there. And uh, I would just say that I, it, it is helpful. It is helpful. It's not necessary, but I think it's helpful for God's people to uh, get out some. And uh, <clears throat> once you've been to three or four other countries, you realize that uh, you, you don't have to live life just like you do at Gladys. Um, you don't have to have everything that you thought you had to have in Gladys, and, you, and uh, people worship God in different ways in different places, and that's all okay as long as we are serving the Lord and following His Word. So the gospel goes to all the world, and it works in the world as it is working 
in you, for you. So we are not the only ones whom, in whom the gospel is working. And then the source of gospel knowledge. Uh, he throws in this thing that you heard it from this man. And I think that is related to the uh, heresy that uh, <clears throat> truth is uh, some mysterious thing. Um, he's saying uh, a mysterious thing that only the initiated can, can understand. Uh, this is one of the um, truths of the gospel. Is that, is that the Spirit can work in the hearts of God's people and, and the common ordinary believer can understand the work. So the Holy Spirit reveals truth, and they learned it from this man. And all of God's people uh, can learn because the truth is rooted in the gospel, rooted in the word. The good news of Christ's birth, life, teaching, death, resurrection, and present life. These are not hidden realities that, that only a few can understand. That's Paul's point. Then the prayer of petition, beginning in verse 9, verses 9 to 12. <clears throat> uh, verse 9 starts out, for this reason we also. And I think the reason is uh, what he's heard of their faith and love and hope. And the fact that the gospel is working in their lives for this reason. We also, since the day we heard about it, have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all perseverance and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Whew. Let's see, did you get all that? It's really a mouthful. So in these verses, I believe Paul mentions two purposes for his prayer. The first one, that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. <clears throat> Paul has not stopped praying for them since or because he heard of their faith, love, and hope. He says he has not stopped praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom refers to having insight into what is true, the true nature of things, the actual reality of a teaching or situation. And 
I realized, uh, I just want to comment on something. I realized that uh, we, we can be well-intentioned and, and honest people and have difference of opinion about what something means. As in, you can have two or three people standing beside the road and observe a car wreck and they will not give the same reports. That is, they will see things a little bit different. Hopefully, the essential facts that matter, they will not be different, hopefully. But sometimes people have see different things. Okay, that's that's one that's one kind of scenario. And another one is uh, the kinds of things that we hear today which are are things that you and I know that the thing that was said is not a reality. It is not true. It is not scientifically true, and it's not true according to the Bible. And uh, maybe I should refrain from giving examples, but uh, that's not wisdom, okay? It's not wisdom because it's not true. It's not reality. This wisdom here is talking about uh, having insight and understanding of the actual reality of something as God made it, as God said it. And then the spiritual understanding part is the ability uh, to make skillful application of what you know is true and apply it to life in a way that makes it possible to live the way God intended for us to live. Knowledge of God's will in daily living. The second purpose that Paul refers to, he says he's praying for them that they might walk worthy of the Lord. That uh, they would please God by walking worthily. And this is done as we do four things. And the following four things tell us the kind of life that is pleasing to the Lord. And I confess I'm not paying any attention to the time. The first one is bearing fruit. And uh, this is in the present tense. The fruit itself consists in every good work or active goodness of every kind. Every kind of goodness. Goodness in every area of life. So there's an emphasis here on good works. Uh, So we know... um, According, according to scriptures, a number of scriptures, I'll just read one. So the time, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, God, God is saving us, redeeming us, uh, active present tense, and we are pleasing God, present tense, active. And uh, faith precedes good works. 
our works are the fruit of faith, according to Scripture. And the second, um, the second item that Paul mentions here is increasing in knowledge of God. And this is also, in the present tense, it's something that's going on day by day. We grow in knowledge of God, and we grow because of God's knowledge. And as we are submerged in God, Christ, the Word, we grow in knowledge of God's will. We grow in our understanding of God. And knowledge of God is the source of spiritual growth and is always practical. It always has implications in the way we live. So our understanding of God affects the way we live. Uh, the next one, the third one, is being empowered. It's the idea of being strengthened. the same word that's used in Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So God is the source of the believer's power and strength. Um, the goal of this strengthening is patience, according to these verses, patience and long-suffering. And the word patience <coughs> comes from a Greek word that means to, uh, to remain under, to remain under, and refers to perseverance in trials. And uh, the illustration I would use for those who know about these things, I, I would say the idea here is the same as when you use a press in a shop press something out of something or into something, and, and the thing you're pressing does not jump out from under the press and kill somebody, <clears throat> but, stays, but stays under pressure. So it's, it's the opposite of uh, becoming despondent, and uh, it's, the, it's the capacity to see things through. The result of hope and love and faith. And then long-suffering is the opposite of wrath. It's the opposite of developing a spirit of revenge. It speaks of uh, having an even temper. The attitude that in spite of injury or insult, I will not retaliate, that doesn't mean I'm helpless, but I will suffer long. That's the idea of long-suffering. And then uh, the last one is giving thanks. Giving thanks. We endure joyfully and give thanks because of Christ has done and is doing for us and in us. We give thanks because of all the things Christ is doing uh, in verses 10 and 11. We give thanks because the Father has made us made us meet, uh, I think it's a King James word, to partake of the inheritance. We 
qualified is the idea. The Father has made us qualified to partake of the inheritance. Qualified to have a position, a portion of, of the inheritance that belongs to the people of God. And this inheritance is both present. We, are, we can be in Christ and be in Christ's kingdom and future uh, in the actual presence of God and His Son and the Holy Spirit. And we are qualified uh, based on the work of God and not our own work. So the content of the prayer is that we may be able to know, and by knowing they may be able to walk worthy of the Lord, and by walking worthy... They may bear fruit, and by bearing fruit, they may know more of God's will. And so, in these verses, there is a, a cycle. It goes in a circle. And uh, so you begin with knowledge of God and God's will, and these things happen, and then that increases uh, your knowledge of God and God's will. So here's one summary thought. Those, those who do not live what they know to be true and right do not gain more knowledge. <clears throat> people, people can kind of get stuck. <clears throat> so uh, my summary thoughts this morning. Our knowledge of the hope laid up in heaven comes by hearing the word. The knowledge of this hope, uh, you might say the knowledge of salvation, when coupled with the work of the Spirit results in faith and love. The gospel is universal in its coming and intensive in its results, and it has results among God's people wherever they are around the world. All spiritual knowledge has practical implications and affects the way a person lives. The goal of the Christian walk is to bear fruit, increase in full knowledge, be empowered by God's power, and give thanks. That's the goal. Spiritual knowledge is not a mystical super-infusion of truth that only a few can have. It comes by study of the Word and the work of the Spirit. And then on the back of your uh, bulletin, uh, I have something there, how to pray for other believers, according to Colossians 1, 1 to 14. I got this from a study Bible. Uh, pray, pray this way, be thankful for their faith and changed lives. Ask God to help them know His will. Ask God to give them spiritual wisdom and understanding. Ask God to help them live to honor and please Him. Ask God to give them more knowledge of Himself. Ask God to give them strength through endurance and patience. Ask God to fill them with joy and thankfulness. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, this morning for your word and for this prayer of Paul's that uh, tells us uh, something about how to pray 
Tells us something about uh, faith and love and hope. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each of us in whatever whatever way you want to, in whatever we need to hear. And work by your spirit in our hearts and, and take what we know to be true and and give us the courage and wisdom understanding to know to know how to how to practice what we know is true. Bless bless each of us uh, here and those who are listening with with wisdom in these matters. And accomplish your good your good goals, your intended purposes in our lives, for your honor and glory and our good. And thank you, Amen.